Thanks for joining us and tuning in today. My name is Peter LaRuffa, and I'm the Fort Thomas campus pastor at Grace Fellowship Church. I want to make sure you're aware that today, being the first Sunday of the month, we're going to be celebrating communion together. So if you haven't already gotten some bread, maybe some juice and some wine, you might want to get that together now. Maybe push pause so you can be ready to celebrate communion with us at the end of our service. But for now, Jeremiah is going to lead us in praise and worship, and we are really excited to be worshiping our Lord together, even though we're apart. We're really glad that you're here. Letting go of every single dream, I lay each one down at your feet. Every moment of my changes what you see I've tried to win this war I confess my hands are weary I need your rest mighty warrior king of the fight no matter what I face your
for your love. There's no earthly affection that we've experienced that even comprehends to your love for us. And we don't understand it, but we are so, so, so thankful for it. And we love you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Did you know that Americans now consume about 30 tons of aspirin, tranquilizers, and sleeping pills every day? Not every year, every day. According to the Journal of Clinical Psychiatry, 40 million Americans now struggle with anxiety. And most people are convinced that the stress and anxiety are what caused the adult coloring book craze to take the world by storm in 2015. Because it's worth noting that at the same time, more and more people were becoming disillusioned with, quote, mainstream meditative practices. What's that mean? Oh, here's what it means. People found out that they're not comfortable being quiet and turning inward towards their own thoughts. In fact, one recent study actually showed that when people were given a choice, they said they would prefer a mild electric shock to being left alone with their own thoughts. What's going on? Well, I'm convinced that this epidemic of anxiety and discomfort with being quiet with our own thoughts is also rooted in the widespread godlessness of our culture as more and more people are trying to live as if there is no God. And when you do that, trust me, you will live anxious and fearful Because you were never designed to live without God. In fact, you need God like you need food and water. Oxford professor of philosophy, Charles Taylor, highlighted the problem this way. When he said, secular people feel adrift and cast into an anonymous cold Universe, having closed the door to a bigger reality, 
they find themselves shut up in a suffocatingly small room. And they turn to art to create space in their minds, which allows them to breathe and find some peace. What about you today? Do you have any emotional space to breathe? And do you have any peace of mind? You say, well, Brad, I'm a Christian. Okay, let's talk about that. Let's talk about being a Christian in the midst of times like these. Do Christians automatically have peace? And do we breathe? Unlike everybody else, do we breathe worry-free air now? Does putting your trust and faith in Jesus Christ automatically banish worry from your heart forevermore and give you a peace that never, ever leaves you again? Well, I wish that were true. But it's not what I've experienced and it's not what the Bible actually teaches. I have had to learn how to fight worry and how to keep peace alive in my heart in the midst of marriage struggles and parenting trials and financial concerns and health concerns and church concerns and worldwide pandemics like what we're living through right now. Now, so turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. And you follow along as I read verses 4 to 9. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds Through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. Some translations say these practice or put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Oh, there is so much in that passage. I will not be able to give you every good thing that we could get from this passage. But in the time that we have, I want to give you some steps It's not everything you could learn and do from this passage, but some, some steps to work through when you're struggling with worry. And as I do, 
I want to acknowledge how indebted I am to author and biblical counselor David Pallison for some of the insights I'm going to share with you. Oh my goodness, I've learned so much from listening to him lecture and reading his books. He went home to be with the Lord last year, but I'm still sitting at his feet and learning from him through his writing. You want to read a good book? Grab something by David Pallison. All right, let's dig into it. What are some practical things that you could do to fight worry in your life? Here's the first thing that you've got to do. Number one, you need to take a closer look at what you are actually worried about. Take a closer look at what you're actually worried about. In other words, define it. Give it some definition and parameters. Don't let it loom like some dark, vague cloud that just hangs over your head day and night. Take some time to get quiet and pray. Let me give you a prayer right from the Bible. Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. He will help you. He will help you bring it out of fuzzy land and into some specificity. Out of the dark and into the light. Get it down on paper. In other words, sit in his presence and consider what's really bothering you. What have you been saying to yourself? What have you been believing and thinking and rehearsing over and over and over and over? Put it down on paper. Is it money? Is that what haunts you and gnaws at you continually? It's money. It's money. Is it your health? Does every little ache and pain send you running to the internet to Google and to find out if you have some horrific, incurable disease? Maybe it's past hurts that you replay over and over in your mind. Maybe there's just too much on your plate so that you feel overwhelmed every moment of every day. Or maybe your anxiety is all tangled up in relationships, earthly relationships, because you keep asking, does my spouse really love me? Really? Do my friends really care about me? And will they keep loving me and caring about me? Maybe you beat yourself up all the time, thinking how you always blow it. You never get it right. You'll never fit in. There's no hope for me. Or maybe deep inside, you still question whether or not God could ever really forgive you for some of the things you've done. Or maybe you worry incessantly about failure, success, achievement, career, advancement. And in your mind, you're always just about to be shown the door, the exit. We don't need you. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. I don't know what it is, my friend. But whatever's on your list, remember this. You ready? You do have reason to worry. I know some of you just said, I can't believe you said that in a sermon on how to fight worry. I'm going to say it again. You do have 
reason to worry in this world. You say, Brad, why would you say that? I'll tell you why. The Bible never tells us. You won't find it anywhere in these 66 books. Never tells us the way to fight worry is to pretend there's no reason to worry. Never. The Bible never, unlike Disney, never takes an akuna matata approach. No worries, man. No worries. No worries. Akuna matata. Bible doesn't do that. The Bible never airbrushes away the reality, the stark, painful, nitty-gritty, real reality of a fallen, broken, scary world that actually gives you plenty of reason to worry. You say, well, Brad, what does it do? Ready? It takes your worries and reframes them, reframes them in the context of who God is, where God is in your life, and what he's done, what he's doing, and what he has yet promised to do. In other words, the Bible gives us better reasons not to worry. The Bible says, oh yeah, 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 I see what's on your list. I understand, I understand. The Bible gives us better reasons not to worry in the face of legitimate worries. That's what the Bible does. So step number one, if you want to get some help, you want to find the way out, you want to start doing better, stop and take some time to write down what you're actually worried about. Here's why I'm pressing you to do this. I want some of you to actually do this. Don't just listen to me talk about it. Do this this week. And here's why. When you, before the Lord, actually bring it out of fuzzy land and out of the dark and into the light with some specificity, parameters, here's what you usually find out. You get things back into perspective because the list is finite. It's not 10,000 things. It's usually 10 things. But it's 10 things that you have found 10,000 ways to worry about those 10 things. And so it just feels and seems overwhelming. Bring it into the light to gain perspective that your list is finite. And you live with the help and power And grace and mercy of an infinite father who wants to help you with that finite list. Oh, I have to do this in my own life. This is not me just preaching to you saying, hey, yeah, why don't you do this? I've never had to do this. Oh, my goodness. I have to do this in my own life, you guys. When I'm feeling overwhelmed and anxious and fearful, and I do sometimes... I will just pull out a piece of paper and begin to brainstorm. What have I been saying to myself? What have I been? I try to get it out of this tangled, dark knot and pull individual threads and get it out. What have I been saying to myself? What have I been thinking? What have I been believing? What have I been rehearsing over and over? What have I been picking up and magnifying in my mind as I consider 
consider from every angle the horrors of this thing I'm concerned about. And I just keep turning it in the light of my mind and looking at it from every angle. What is it? What are those things? David Pallison points out this. He says, quote, Scripture never trivializes the things we worry about. It just says we have greater reason to take them to someone who can help rather than worrying about them. In other other words, you have good reason to worry, but better reasons to not worry. So don't get caught in the spin cycle like a washing machine going round and round, turning, twisting, churning. That's what anxiety and worry feels like, doesn't it? You're just caught in the spin cycle, turning, twisting, churning, and then do it all over again. Listen to me. The first step to breaking out of the spin cycle of worry is to sit down in the presence of God and ask him to bring to mind the specific things you're worried about. Name them. Bring them into the light. Get it onto paper. Number two. After you've done that, number two, take a closer look at who and where your God is. Now, as soon as I announced that this message would be from Philippians 4, here's what I'm very confident of. Most of you would know, oh, if you grew up in the church, where would you go in your Bible for help on worry? Matthew 6, and Peter did a great job last week with that chapter, Philippians 4, Philippians 4. But I bet almost every one of you that would have thought Philippians 4 is where to go to fight worry. You would start with verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything with prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In other words, boom. You jump right in with a command. Be anxious for nothing. Stop it. Drop and give me. 50 peaceful, restful, trusting push-ups right now. Just stop being anxious. And a lot of people think that's the way the Bible's put together. It's just full of commands that tell you not to do these things that we're guilty of doing all the time. And by seeing it in the Bible and being commanded not to do it, and maybe even memorizing that verse that says don't do it, you'll get help. Let me ask you, those that have been living the Christian life that way, how's that working for you? It doesn't work. The Bible is not put together with just a list of commands. Here's what you need to understand. The Bible, when it was written, did not have verses and chapters. Humans put verses and chapters in much later to help us find our way around and talk to each other about it. But there's a reason For the four-word phrase that's at the end of verse 5. Look at it. The end of verse 5. The Lord is near. It's very possible that that four-word phrase should actually start verse 6. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. So often God's word gives us glorious indicatives. 
things that are just true that you've got to know and you've got to embrace and you've got to believe. And then you try to obey in light of that. When you just jump into a command willy-nilly and try to do it in your own strength, it doesn't work. Not for long. You might be able to do it for a while, but not for long. Oh, here's what God's doing by his Holy Spirit. God plants a grace bomb right at the end of verse 5. The Lord is near. Contrary to all you've been thinking and feeling, anxious believer, the Lord is near. Paul says, as I get ready to help you fight worry, I need you first, first to get this fixed in your mind. The Lord is near. Why? Because worriers have an absentee God. He's a bad dad. He's a bad dad. He might exist, but he's not with me. He's forgotten about me. He's distracted. He's off somewhere else. He's not with me and my troubles right now. Before you try to obey a command, you first have to be embracing the glorious reality that you are not alone. The Lord is near. It's one of the things that distinguishes Christianity from Hinduism and Buddhism and every other religion in the world. Our God, Islam has a God who is cold, distant, harsh, powerful, big. But he's not personal, tender, and he's not your father at all. Only Christianity has a personal, tender God who took on flesh, came into our world, and by His Spirit now is with us. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. See, sometimes the reason you struggle and feel like, quote, the Bible doesn't work, is you're jumping in and starting at the wrong place. Because you can't obey a a, a command for long if you don't know who and where your God is in your life. Because when you're worrying, part part of the horrors of worry is when you're worrying and caught in the spin cycle. You're caught up in a universe where no one is home on the throne. No one is home on the throne. And when that happens, the world becomes a cold, dark machine that just leaves you spinning as if there is no God or if there is, he's far from me and my struggles right now. If you're going to fight worry, get this, if you're going to fight worry, you have to fight the lies, the lies that keep worry alive. Don't just jump in and try to fight worry you got to back it up and fight some of the ancillary lies that keep worry alive. And one of the biggest is you're an orphan. You're on your own. It's up to you. You're going to have to do this on your own. And listen to me. Lies grow quickly and easily in the soil of a warrior's heart. There's all kinds of lies. You're going to have to fight some of the lies that keep worry alive. And one of the biggest is that God's not with you. God's not near you. God doesn't care. See, it's worth noting, you guys, 
that verses 5 to 9 of Philippians 4 are not just filled with a few tricks and techniques for fighting worry that you just slap on your life. And here we go. Verses 5 to 9 in Philippians 4 are God-centered. God-centered for a reason. Look at it again. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Verse 5, the Lord is near. Verse 6, let your request be made known to God. There is a God. He's your God. He's listening. He cares. Verse 7, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You have a father and you have a savior. You have a father and you have a savior who's interceding for you. Verse 9. And the God of peace will be with you. See, so often when we're fighting worry, we're hoping that God would just give us some of his peace. Notice verse 9 concludes this battle plan with not saying God will give you some of his peace, the peace of God. There you go. He gives you himself. The God of peace himself will be with you because that's what it takes. You don't just need some techniques and strategies. You need God. You need the assurance. You need to be overwhelmed and rejoicing in and delighting in and convinced of. I have a God. I have a father. I have a savior. And he is with me. The Lord is near. Near. It is the radical God-centeredness of this passage that crushes anxiety. Because anxiety always tries to isolate us and push us, push us into a godless echo chamber where all we're hearing and thinking is our own anxious thoughts. Orphaned anxious thoughts. And so Paul brings God back into view and reminds us that we're not alone. I'm not limited to my own finite resources and wisdom. Oh, hallelujah. I'm not an orphan. I have a father. And I have a father who is with me and in control so that I don't have to be. And even as I use that word control, I want you to understand this whole issue of control is at the very heart of anxiety. It's a key component in what keeps anxiety alive in us. David Pallison writes this, and I think it's brilliant and so helpful. Oh, it's helped me so much. Listen to this. Central to worry is the illusion that we can control things. If only I could get my retirement right, I could control the future. If I could get my diet and medicine right, I wouldn't get cancer. If I could figure out the right child-rearing technique, oh, I could guarantee how my kids turn out. Worry assumes the possibility of control over the uncontrollable. Oh, listen to this. The illusion of control lurks inside your anxiety. Anxiety... Great illustration here. Anxiety and control are two sides of one coin. 
When we can't control something, we worry about it. In other words, oh, listen to me. You don't have two problems, a worry problem and a control problem. Those are two sides of one coin. Your illusion of control, your insistence on trying to be in control lurks inside your anxiety. Those are two sides of one coin. Listen to me. Some of you have had that coin of control grip so tightly. You've been white knuckling it your whole life. That coin of control. That coin of control. And you need to realize as long as you keep white knuckling the coin of control, you guarantee yourself a life of anxiety. Because these two things go together. They go together. Oh, listen to me. Look at me. God is saying, God is pleading. He's your father. He loves you. God is saying to some of you today, give it to me. Let go of it. Give it to me, my child. You can't handle this. You can't do this. It's killing you. I love you. I see what it's doing to you. Give it to me. Give it to me. Number one. Take a closer look at what you're actually worried about. Give us some parameters, definitions, out of the dark, into the light. Number two, take a closer look at who and where your God is. And then and only then are you ready for step number three. Number three, then with specific worries and reminders of who God is and where he is, start Talking to God about number one, your worries, in light of number two, who and where he is. Start talking to God about number one in light of number two. In other words, you start praying, but you pray in the right way. And that's what Philippians 6 and 7 are all about. Look at it again. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. You start praying to God about what you're worried about, but you do it in light of who he is and where he is. See, if you don't, listen to me, if you don't first have God in view and near to you, You realize what prayer can turn into? You can just worry out loud in front of God. Say in Jesus' name and then walk away with all the same burdens and cares and fears and anxieties you had before you prayed. And you call it prayer. Worrying out loud in front of God and saying amen and calling that prayer. That's not prayer. That's not what the Bible's talking about. And here's what you're probably finding out. When you do that, some of you have found this out. The very process of prayer itself can actually make you more anxious instead of less. Why? Because there's not enough of God in your prayers. 
Your prayers are long on the gory details of how awful these things are you're worried about. And short on God. Short on God. Short on God. You're just worrying in front of God out loud saying amen. And walking away unchanged. Listen to me. Proper prayer infuses the presence of God back into your circumstances and not just on the edge of your life, but at the center of all that's going on in your life. And here is why this matters so much. Here's why I'm pressing you this way. When you have God at the center of your prayer, instead of on the edge, it brings you to the point of prayer much sooner. You say, Brad, what do you mean? Do you realize that prayer has a point? Do you realize that in prayer, there should be an actual transaction? There should be an actual transaction that takes place between you and God. Something's supposed to happen. There's supposed to be an exchange. An actual transaction should take place in prayer. And that's what's missing for so many of you who say, I tried it. It doesn't work. I tried it. I read, be anxious for nothing. I tried to be anxious for nothing. Didn't help. I guess the Bible doesn't work. Listen, prayer should be giving something to God. Yes, giving him praise. As you remember who he is and where he is in your life, what he's done, what he's doing, what he's promised yet to do. But then also giving him the problem and leaving it there with him. So many of you want to talk to him about the problem while you hold on to it tenaciously, wondering, wondering all the while why prayer feels so exhausting and doesn't seem to make any difference in your life. Guess what? There was no transaction. There was nothing exchanged. You give him your cares and he gives you his peace. You didn't let go of it. You didn't leave it with him. Oh, listen to me. When you get stuck in the spin cycle of worry and anxiety, something's not getting handed over to God. Something's not getting handed over to God. Because he tells us to actually cast our cares on him. That's the same word. That's the same word that's used in Matthew 6 for worry. It's the Greek word merimnao, made up of two words. Merizo, that means to divide, and nous, which means mind. Your mind is pulled in so many directions because you're trying to rule and reign the world. You've got that coin of control, white-knuckled. <gasps> Cast your cares on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Let me show you what I'm talking about. I'm not making this up. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Where we're going to start reading in verse 6. But before I even read it, look at me. 
This is another example, you guys, of where people have most often been jumping in halfway through a thought. I grew up in the church. And all I ever heard was casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. I even remember, I remember as a child, a children's worksheet that we had to color. And it just said, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. Do it. Cast. Do it. Do you ever realize you're jumping into the middle of a thought? In fact, casting is not even a command. It's a participle. It's something that goes along with doing something else first. First. Another example where back it up and get the whole thought. Verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. So that at the proper time, he may exalt you, comma, casting all your cares upon him. Because he cares for you. Oh, listen to me. Freedom from your anxiety begins by repenting of your pride. That's right. Did you realize anxious people are proud people? Now, we're all proud. That's one of our deepest, most rooted sins that we have to battle. So here's another example of if you want to fight worry and anxiety, you got to take a step back and start by killing, killing. Go after the root of pride. Anxious people are proud people. So he says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Here's why. Because only a humble person will choose to cast their cares on him. A proud person will hold on to those cares thinking they know best. I have to control this. It has to go the way I want it to go. It, I'm not sure what God would do or when he'll do it. I can't let go of this. I want him to help me, but I want him to help me see that it all goes the way I think it should go. Doesn't work that way, my friends. Humble yourself. You want to get free from anxiety? You want to see more peace, emotional space, peace of mind, hope? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Casting. Peter is reminding us, you guys, that the presence of anxiety is related to the absence of humility. Because it's only as you stop trying to be God that you can start being His child, His child that is willing to cast fully and freely. All your cares on him because you're convinced he's my father. He's good. He cares about me. He's wiser than I am. He's on it. He's in it. He's for me, not against me. Childlike. Abandon. As you know, that's my dad. And I know he loves me. I know he's for me. I trust him. Here you go, dad. Take it. Take it. I can't do it. As I think about a child casting 
or tossing, tossing something onto their father. I think about how a child tosses a backpack. The reason I'm telling you this is that word right there in 1 Peter 5, verse 7, casting. It is not a calm, polite moment where you just gently hand something to someone. That word cast in the Greek means to hurl, toss, sling, get rid of from you onto something else or someone else. This really helps you get the picture. It's the same word that's used when Judas, after he betrayed Jesus and was filled with regrets, went back into the temple and threw the 30 pieces of silver down. He didn't just hand it back to the religious leaders and say, you know, I made a mistake. Here, take this back. He wanted to get rid of it. He wanted nothing to do with it. He cast it onto the floor. He threw it. He slung it. And that's the picture that Peter gives us of casting our cares. You think about how a child just tosses a backpack onto the floor, onto the bed, onto, down the stairs. It's not guarded. It's not careful. Oh, listen. Here's what's going on with so many of us who are caught up in the spin cycle of worry. And it happens. I understand it's a fallen, broken world. The things we worry about are the things we care about the most. I get it. I'm right there with you. But you say, oh my goodness. I've had children. I love them so much. Oh, she's dating a boy I would never have chosen. Oh, oh my goodness. Oh, he's choosing a career that is not what I would have him choose. Oh, She's moving to another state. She's moving away from me. Oh, my finances. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. My retirement, my finances. Oh, my health. Oh, all my relationships. Oh, world issues. And listen to me. The longer you do that and the more you rehearse it and you pick them up and you look at them in all their gory detail from every, every angle... You go from just carrying it to saying, I'm going to have to keep this closer to me because i got to make sure this goes the way I want it to go. And before you know it, it's like, oh, you know what? This feels a little more secure. Now, i, I got to make sure I'm on it. And you just keep going over these things. And you add more things. And as life, as life continues and the longer you live, you've got more things to worry about, more things you care about, more friends, more issues, more circumstances. And oh, the more you do it, even as a Christian, it's like strap on. But then here's what you do. You pray. You say, well, I pray. But what you typically do is you go into the presence of God and you allow him to simply see the things that you're worried about. You say, God, see this? This is my daughter. Oh, my goodness. Don't you see? You see who she's dating? You see what she's doing? You got to do something about this. Here's my finances. Have you noticed what happened with the stock market? Have you noticed what my retirement did? Have you seen our our checking account, our savings? And here's my health. Do you know what happened? You know my last time I had my annual physical. You know what they found. You know some of the tests that had to be done. And you just speak to him about these things, and you pray, and in a sense, you worry over them out loud 
in front of him. And then you say amen. And for you, that amen is nothing more than zipping it back up and strapping it back on and snapping it back around you and saying, God, you got to help me. This is killing me. This is crushing me. This is, don't you see all I'm carrying now? Don't you see all I'm worried about? And even in community group or with friends, you're like, you got to pray for me. Oh, please pray for me. Oh, I need God's grace. I need God's grace. Listen, news alert. God doesn't give you grace to carry or do what he never called you to do. There's something missing in your prayer times, my friend. Here's what you need. You go into God's presence and you unsnap and you unstrap. And yes, yes, you let your request be made known to God. And it's more than just letting him share it. Some of you are like, well, I'll let him just hold one strap, but I'm going to keep that other strap. Nope. You bring it all before him and you name it and you bring it into the light. And oh, then you say, because you have humbled yourself under his mighty hand, believing he's your mighty good father. And you say, God, right now, I am now going to hurl, cast. I got to get rid of this. It's killing me. I'm going to cast this on to you because I can't do it. I can't carry it. I can't control it. Oh, God. And then when you get up from your prayer time and it's like, I give you my daughter. I give you my finances. I give you my health. I give you every other concern. When you say amen and you walk away, you do. You do feel lighter. You do have more peace. You do have more joy. You do have more hope because you cast it on him. There was an actual transaction that took place. But listen to me. Old habits die hard. This will be a fight. This will be a fight. Your flesh will not let go. Your enemy will not back off. Your flesh and our enemy Satan does not want you to trust God. He wants you to stay frothy and frenzied and useless for the kingdom because you're so wound up constantly spinning in your own world of worry and anxiety and control. This will be a fight. This will be a fight. But it's a fight worth fighting by God's grace and God's spirit. This, listen to me, this new habit of trusting God and casting your cares on him will not happen overnight. But it can happen over the course of a lifetime. As you continue to walk through these steps and say, wait a minute, I'm not going to leave it fuzzy and vague and nebulous. What am I actually worried about? It's not 10,000 things. It's 10 things that I'm finding 10,000 ways to worry about. Put it on paper. And then, wait a minute. 
I've been living like an orphan. I've been living as if there's no God. I've been living like a functional atheist, even though I say I'm a Christian. (gasps) Who my God is, where my God is, near. And then start praying to God about number one, your list, in light of number two, who your God is. And make sure there's an actual transaction that takes place of casting your cares on him. I want to close by giving you an actual example of what this looks like. From a dear woman in our own church family that emailed me this past week. And this woman is talking about something she's worked on for a lifetime, you guys. Not a weekend, a lifetime. But oh, it's worth working on. How she has learned to fight worry and to form a habit of trusting God. Listen to what she says. Dear Brad, I don't usually chime in on the sermon subjects. But in this case, God has given me a method to fight worry That I thought might help someone else. Many years ago when our daughters were very small. My husband was working graveyard shift. And I was reading my Bible alone one night before going to bed. As I read Psalm 91. I heard a voice say. You're going to be tested. I looked up. Half expecting to see someone in the room. The voice said again. You're going to be tested. I pondered this for a few minutes and came to the conclusion that if it was from God, he would see me through it. If not, nothing would come of it. So I turned out the light and went to sleep. The next morning, I woke up with acute appendicitis. Thus began a testing period that lasted about two years. During that time, God showed me Psalm 37, 25. That says, I've been young and now I am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his children begging bread. Several years later, I relied on the same promise as Calm Air Airlines shut down, ending my husband's employment of almost 30 Years in the months leading up to his final day of employment, by the grace of God and the help of the Holy Spirit, I became disciplined to interrupt every anxious thought. Oh, listen, do you hear what she's saying? I became disciplined to interrupt every anxious thought. Some of you need to get a hold of that. Do you realize you don't have to let your thoughts just go where they're going? You don't have to follow your thoughts. You don't have to let them be fully fleshed out. Some of you let your thoughts be fully fleshed out. You water it. You nurture it. You cultivate it. You can take thoughts captive and say, oh, no. Oh, no, we're not going there. But again, that doesn't work to just say, stop, 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 stop. Listen to what she says next. Here's how she interrupted her thoughts. She interrupted her thoughts With a better thought, a better promise. I became disciplined to interrupt every anxious thought by saying, God, I choose to trust you. I recognized that I couldn't even let an anxious thought get fully formed in my mind because it might take root. You don't have to let anxious thoughts get fully formed in your mind. Interrupt it. With a better promise, a better thought. Don't let it take root. 
I didn't know what the future was going to look like, but I kept saying, God, I choose to trust you. And he came through. This pattern, you hear that? It was a pattern. She didn't do it once. She did it. She did it. She did it dozens of times in a given day. She did it over a course of years. This pattern of fighting anxious thoughts by saying, God, I choose to trust you, was the only thing that kept me sane during those final months of anticipating my husband's unemployment and until he was employed again. And I'm still trusting God in this most recent situation that we're all living through. I don't know if anyone's ever shared this technique with you, but I find it very helpful because the real battle is in the mind. And then she adds this that I really appreciate. She says, P.S., just to be clear, nothing like the voice I heard had ever happened before or has happened since. And I want you to know that it's not something on which I have based my theology. Experience should confirm our theology, not determine it. What about you today? What about you? Oh, unbeliever, you're not a Christian. Thank you for tuning in. Oh, I can only imagine how anxious you are without the God who is near you living in you. Oh, and so here, here's my plea for you. Come to Christ. I'm not asking you to come to Christ with all your anxieties and worries and fears. Come to Christ with your life. Don't just give him your fears and anxiety. Give him your life. That is the starting place. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 11, come to me. All who are weary and carrying heavy burdens And I'll give you rest. He was speaking to unbelievers about the burden of their sin. Never mind the burden of anxieties that we still battle as Christians. Oh, that burden of sin that you are carrying will continue to crush you and make you anxious and cause you to feel like you live in an anonymous, cold universe. Come to Christ. He loves you. He died for you. And he is calling you by name today. Put your faith in Christ. Say, yes, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I surrender. And Christian, mm, do you need to form a new habit of what it looks like to truly pray in a biblical way so that it leads to an actual transaction Where you are humble enough to give God your cares and leave them there. Oh, some of you, for the first time in your life, need to repent of white-knuckling the coin of control. Because you need to recognize, as long as you do that, You guarantee for yourself an anxious, fearful life. And it's killing you. And oh, by the way, it's killing those around you who have to hear about it all the time. How upset you are, how overwhelmed you are, how frantic you are. And you would love for everyone else to become equally frantic. It's exhausting for you and everyone around you. Your father 
who loves you is saying to you today, give it to me. Give it to unstrap the backpack of cares. Unsnap it, unstrap it, and hurl it on me. I can carry it. I can carry it. And you will have peace that passes all understanding as the God of peace will be with you in a way you have not experienced before. Oh God, thank you. Thank you for being our Father who loves us and for sending your Son to die for us to solve our biggest problem that is not a worry problem, but a sin problem that would have landed each of us in an eternal hell separated from you. But you gave your Son for us to save us and to make us your children. And, oh, God, thank you for giving us direct access to your throne to unburden our hearts. But forgive us for how often we simply worry in your presence and say amen and never give it to you. Oh, God. We want to humble ourselves so that we can cast our cares on you, so that we can live with more joy and more freedom and more peace and more focus on loving others. Help us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, now we're going to celebrate communion together. It's an opportunity for people like you and like me, believers, People have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation to look back and remember what he did for us by dying on the cross for our sins. And if you're a believer, if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ for salvation in him alone, we want to invite you to join with us and celebrate communion at this time. Even if this is your first time joining us for a worship service, we invite you to celebrate from wherever you are the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me read to you the word of the Lord from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says this in verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so in accordance with what we hear from God's word, we take bread, we break it, and we eat it in remembrance of him. same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me and so we take the cup and we drink it in remembrance
remembrance of him. First Corinthians 11 and verse 26 says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is the word of the Lord. And at this time, let's sing one more praise and worship song to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.
darkness, my God, that is who you are. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God. That is who you are. You are rainmaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. That is who you are. That is who you are. That is who you Remember as you go throughout this week that our battle is already won and he has made a way. Have a great week.